Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 44. I think that's the episode. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about this whole indexing capital gains for inflation. What does it mean? What would it do for investors? Would it really make a substantial difference in, number one, the amount of capital gains that an investor would have to pay? And But the, the other part of this, too... Uh, how would this affect you know people being sort of trapped in to not being able to to sell or being reticent to sell if they've held something for a very long time and you know you're going to wind up selling and, and triggering a big capital gain? So, a couple different pieces here, and then towards the end, I'll kind of tease something that's uh, going to be talking about in a future podcast, and that's the idea of how you can actually for those long term holdings that are low cost basis reticent to sell. And you know you should probably be more diversified, but uh, you just don't want to do it because of the tax situation. So how could you actually hedge that? I'll tease a little bit about a future podcast we'll probably have coming out. So what does it mean for to index capital gains and all that? Just before we get to that, I think it's informative to do a review about the whole idea of you know capital gains. So 2018, and I'll post this link. This is from a Schwab piece, Charles Schwab, where they go into 2018 long-term capital gains, tax rates, and brackets. And so a capital gain is, of course, when you buy something and if you sell it within one year, well, it's just you know ordinary income, but we're talking about longer-term capital gains. It's when you buy an asset and then you sell it, you pay tax potentially on the difference between what you bought it for and what you sold it for. Now, the capital gains rates in 2018, they were 0%, and that was for individual filers from 0 to 38,600. Uh, the 0% for joint filers was from $0 to 77,200. And so, uh, looking at the Schwab side here, according to the capital gains table, uh, those filers would not pay any capital gains. Uh, the other part of this is, let's say that, uh, okay, and then there's 15% rate. That's from 38601 to 425800 in income for single filers. The 15% long-term capital gains rate uh, for joint filers in 2018 was 77201 to 479000 and then it actually goes up to 20% for above 425,801 for single filers, for joint filers above 479,001. And there's also this net investment tax that adds an additional 3.8% kicker. This generally, there's some different rules about it, but this generally is uh, above 200,000 on single filers, 250. 250,000 on joint filers. And there's some other things there. And by the way, uh, don't, you know, don't take this podcast as tax advice. I'm not a tax uh, CPA, but generally just kind of looking at the, the capital gains rates. So when you look at these, you can see that if you're selling something that's been held for a long time or has a big gain, you've got to pay some capital gains tax on it. So what is this whole idea with indexing capital gains for inflation? Well, we know that over time, your, you or everyone else's purchasing power goes down, and that's because 
prices generally rise. Remember, when we measure prices, the initial thing was kind of a basket of goods, the consumer price index. And you say, I've got this basket of goods, and I put all these things in the basket. And uh, 10 years later, I look at the price of the basket, and I, I say, if prices have gone up, I've achieved annual, I shouldn't say achieved, but there has been annualized inflation. If prices go down, you would have deflation. But we also know that a dollar in 1950 is not worth as much in 2019 because that as prices go up, the purchasing power of that dollar has changed. And a good way to look at this too, I think uh, a while back I was looking at some income numbers and somebody making $20,000 in 1976 or 77 adjusted for inflation uh, would be akin to making about $100,000 in 2019, meaning uh, there was more purchasing power for that $20,000 way back when because each and every year prices have gone up. And this brings us to the, the question of the day, and that's this idea of indexing uh, capital gains for inflation. What does that mean? Okay. So in the one of the examples, and I think there's a, a Barron's article that I will link to where uh, members of the Senate, I believe, had sent a, a note to the Treasury and suggesting that they should go ahead and index capital gains for inflation. And I'll read a little bit from the paragraph here. In the letter, and this is in the Barron's article, they're citing an example of, let's say, a theoretical investor who bought one share of Coca-Cola in 1998 for $32.38. So excluding commissions or anything, they're saying you buy it for $32.38. And they said, okay, you sold it this year at $48.13. I haven't checked these numbers or looked at any charts, but this is according to Barron's what they sent in the letter. So they sell it for $48.13. And basically um, what they said was if you had somebody at the highest rate, which is that 20% and then the net investment kicker of 3.8%, they'd owe about $3.75 on their nominal gain of $15.75, right? Because they bought at $32.38, they sell it at $48.13. That's a gain of $15.75. And so they'd owe about $3.75 paying at the top rate. But here's the thing. If you ingest the stock for inflation, meaning taking that $32.38 and then adjusting it up, compounding each year as inflation's gone up, the price would actually be $50.50 in today's dollars. And so if you take that, that implies, as they say, a loss of $2.38 in inflation-adjusted terms. But you'd still owe the tax of $3.75. You're actually paying a tax on a theoretical after-inflation loss. Okay, so what does that mean? In this case, as prices have gone up, if you just adjust the cost basis and you adjust it for how much inflation there, there has been, um, what that's showing is the idea of indexing capital gains for inflation. You're saying taking the cost basis and adjusting it for gains in inflation, and then you would take and owe the tax on the difference. And so if you actually indexed in their example for inflation, your cost basis would be $50.50, and therefore you would not have a capital gain. Whereas today, they do not adjust for inflation, uh, 
your cost basis is $32.38, And when you sold it at $48.13, you've got to pay tax. And so this idea is that, hey, why don't we index this for inflation? We'll, we'll, use the, we'll adjust the cost basis. And this could be anything from stocks to other investments to homes. And depending upon how much money we're talking about, it could be quite significant, you know, the savings. So I took a look and I just figured I'd, I'd run a couple of examples. And it's worth noting to kind of repeat the idea of calculating the real rate of return versus the nominal rate of return. So the nominal rate of return does not look at inflation. It just says, okay, if we, and I'll just do one here. Let's say you made 5%. And you would say, okay, great. I made 5% last year. I'll take that. Thank you very much. But if inflation is 2%, did you really make 5%? What's the real return? And the real return is your adjusted uh, return after inflation. So if we look at this, the way to do it is your one plus the nominal rate of return. So 1.05 divided by one plus inflation, which is 1.02 in my example, you take the result of that and then you subtract by one, and what you have is your real return of 2.94%. So real returns account for changes in, in purchasing power and changes in, in what's going on with inflation. In other words, hey, if you made 5%, but inflation was 5%, you know, the back of the napkin says you really didn't gain any purchasing power. So how does this relate back to the whole idea of indexing for capital gains? Let's use a hypothetical $100,000 uh, investment. Doesn't matter wh- what it goes into. Uh, but let's say over the next 15 years, uh, they had a compounded annual growth rate of 8%. Sounds great. Thank you very much. After uh, compounding and taking that 8% average annual compounded growth rate, you turn your $100,000 into $317,217. Fantastic. Okay. We can do the quick math and we can see that that would be a nominal gain of 217,217. Simple math there, right? But here's the thing. If we adjust it up, let's say we had 2.5% inflation, we would adjust our cost basis from $100,000 on that stock or that investment. Over 15 years, we would adjust that up. And so our cost basis would go to 144830 uh, By the way, the way I did this, I just took the 100000 times 1.025, and that's in parentheses, and then you use the exponent of 15, and it tells you what, your, uh, what the value will be, uh, the future value. Okay, so here's where the difference comes in. In our first example, we had a capital gain, nominal capital gain of 217217 Uh, If we do the math, our ending value minus the adjusted for inflation cost basis, our gain goes down to about $172,000 and change. And so if we pay the 15% capital gains rate, it would be a difference of roughly $7,000, meaning you'd pay $32,583 in the first example, $25,858 in the second example. So adjusting the cost basis up in this example would save you a little bit of money. Here's an interesting one. In this one, I said, let's start with a $250,000 investment. 
And we're going to run this one for 40 years. And we're going to assume that you made just 3% a year. And so that's uh, over 40 years. That goes to 815509 Not bad. You have, you've got uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, a growth there, even at 3%, because it's been so long, 40 years. And then the second one, uh, we well, let's look at it this way. If we have, uh, let's say, inflation of, what do we say inflation was? 2%. So what we would do is we would actually take our uh, cost basis and we would raise that cost basis to 552,010. Why? Because we're taking the 250 and then we're adjusting it up for inflation 2% every year over 40 years. So our inflation adjusted cost basis goes to a little bit over 550,000. So if we're looking at the problem here, not the problem, but if we're looking at the uh, what's going on here, we see that there's a capital gain of 84826 If we just look at, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, yeah, the capital gains tax that's due of 84826 on a cost basis of 250 With a cost basis of over 550 the capital gain drops to 39525 and that's the capital gains, sorry, the capital gains tax that's due. So indexing for inflation in that case would have saved the investor about $45,300 at the 15% rate. Obviously, if they're in the 20% rate uh, or if they're getting that net investment tax, um, you know that, that could be quite a bit of difference there. So you kind of see if, you know, there's the difference between a nominal return and an inflation adjusted or a real return. And there's also a difference between a nominal, uh, let's say, gain, not accounting for inflation. And then if you step up the cost basis for inflation, you're going to actually narrow that gain. And that brings us back to the article in Barron's that cited the senators writing uh, the Treasury, I believe it was the Treasury, urging them to index capital gains for inflation. And so this potentially would would save investors because a lot of people would argue that um, a lot of people have growth from inflation, but they didn't grow their purchasing power because everything cost more. And so all else equal, you know, if you made 2% a year, but then inflation went up 2% a year, you'd be paying tax on sort of purchasing power that you didn't get. So is this a good idea or a bad idea? Well, first thing is there's some argument about whether or not this could actually be done by the Treasury or whether Congress would have to vote on it and approve it. And the Barron's article seems to indicate or seems to point to something going back to the uh, George H. Bush days uh, that said it would have to be voted on. Other people argue it could be a Treasury decision. I'll let other people uh, decide to weigh in on that. But obviously anything that has to get voted on by Congress uh, is going to be a little bit more difficult to, to get through. So what are some of the benefits beyond just the financial for investors? Well, there's a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, there's exclusions for uh, someone selling their home. And, you know, it depends on filing single or filing joint when they owe capital gains. Uh, but if there's folks who have, who have bought their houses uh, many years ago, um, they may exceed those thresholds. And so this would, would help them. 
Um, the other way that it sort of helps beyond just, hey, I've, I've held this stock for a long time, I think it, it could actually free up some people to be able to sell things and either diversify or you know rejigger their, uh, their portfolios um, that they're reticent to do right now. And so in some ways, it would open up some opportunities for individual investors to reallocate because uh, they wouldn't have this, this issue of, hey, I can sell it but I've got to pay all this tax on it. Now, the last thing I'll say, and I said I'd, I'd kind of tease something that's coming, and that's the idea of how you actually hedge. I've got all these shares in this one company. Maybe I work for the company, and my cost basis is really low, and so I like to go into other things or diversify, but I simply don't want to because if I have to pay all this tax, you know, it, I, I'm reticent to sell. Um, there are ways that you can actually take a low-cost basis concentrated stock position and use options to effectively hedge the downside. There's several ways to do it, and we'll get into those in a future episode. But just know there's, uh, if you're out there and you have concentrated stock position with low-cost basis, um, there are ways that you can uh, directly hedge uh, downside, and it's customizable to uh, to kind of put a floor in the portfolio. And interestingly enough, Using that collateral, not only to generate uh, some additional income either through selling options, but there's some other things you can overlay on top of it, and it doesn't require taking out a loan or a line of credit or anything like that. So uh, we'll go over that in a future episode. I also wanted to ask, uh, remember, I, I don't ask you to rate and review and all that stuff. Uh, you can do that if you want. Uh, I'd rather you share this with someone that you think could use it. Uh, but I'd also be interested. I'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, to my website. Uh, if you have ideas for future episodes that you'd like me to cover, uh, either on my own or with with a guest, and uh, would love to hear from everybody, see what they think. Uh, always taking some of the the episodes that we've done have actually been listener suggestions uh, that were good suggestions, and we took those and uh, turned it into a podcast. So, without further ado. Is indexing for inflation a good idea, a bad idea? I think it might be, I think it's an interesting idea and, I, and it might be a little bit more fair just from a purchasing power standpoint. Because let's face it, if all your gains come from inflation, you haven't gained anything with how much more your money can buy. And that's sort of the game, right? You want to stay above inflation, you want to grow the money so that you have more purchasing power. And if you're saving for retirement, investing for retirement, uh, you want to be able to build enough assets or wealth so that you can start to draw down on it. And of course, prices will will sort of go up every year with inflation. So anyway, without uh, we'll, we'll leave uh, further discussion to, uh, to other weeks. But for now, hopefully that was instructive and a little primer on indexing capital gains for inflation. We'll talk to everyone real soon. 